and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Joshua Smith. So Joshua is a high-performance manager at Amazulu Football Club in South Africa. He's also a faculty member at the International Soccer Science and Performance Federation. So who better today to discuss how you can use small-sided games to increase sport performance? So without further ado, it's time to welcome Joshua onto the show. So Joshua, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Okay, so Joshua Smith, born in Durban, South Africa, currently working out of Durban, South Africa as well. My experience in football has been primarily on the African continent. So I worked for Kaiser Chiefs for a period of five years. Um, and then I had an opportunity to move across with that, that head coach to Turkey, uh, Stuart Baxter. We had a fantastic preseason, uh, no injuries, very young squad, won most of our games. And then two games into our competitive season, we lost both games and subsequently the entire staff was sacked. So that was my experience of... <laughs> Welcome to of football. The... <laughs> yeah. um, so it was back to South Africa. We had two good seasons at Supersports United, won back-to-back national cups. Um, Stuart went on to the national team where I joined him on a part-time basis. And then I moved back to Durban and I joined Amazulu Football Club, who had just been promoted to the, the Premier Soccer League here. Um, on the side, I also do work for the University of South Wales with their online sports and exercise medicine courses, their postgrad diploma and master's course. And then I'm a faculty member for the International Soccer Science and Performance Federation as well. On a personal level, married and two kids. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. Absolutely excellent, mate. So we're here to discuss uh, football and the physical demands of football. So can you give us a quick introduction as to, to like what are the demands of a football game? Like real, real basics, what the players need to do? Yeah, so the, the basics, and it's, it's a good thing that you've said about just the basics, but what we know from a general perspective is that the average intensity of a football game is lactate threshold. So that's 80 to 90% of heart rate max. We see roughly... From peak heart rates, 98% of max being recorded in games and players' heart rates generally not dropping off below 65%. From an external load perspective, you're looking at players covering roughly um, 10 kilometers in a game. And ideally, we want to see about 1,000 meters of sprint distance being covered in games. Um, the big thing, if you're looking to drill down really into the needs of a game, is we need to be aware of there are various things that affect total distance run, high intensity actions and even technical stuff technical actions and the execution of those and that'll come down to playing position playing style uh, tactics the opposition Um, and so when we're looking to develop some type of conditioning or periodization model we need to drill down into what our head coach wants what his style of play requires from the players um, and that'll allow us for us to create something that's specific to that style of play and not something that's very generic or general Excellent stuff. So you mentioned a few different physical qualities there and like the heart rate stuff um, moving up through different zones. Um, yeah. What what do players need to do then to, to maximize or optimize their physical performance? Obviously, they can play lots of football. That's great. But are there any other things that need to happen? Um, so from the perspective of players and the things that need to happen with, with their loading, there's, again, a, a big sphere of things that we can take a look at for players to do. I'm a big believer in specificity. Um, and so, and we'll touch on it when we discuss VO2 max as well, but there, there seems to be this, this, this focus and the reliance on, on running based programs for players to improve VO2 max, to improve lactate threshold. 
But what we found as we've gone through um, with various research that's taken place is that the use of small, medium and large sided games or just small sided games as an umbrella term are both valid and ecological when it comes to replicating the technical, tactical and physical demands of the game. So I think from that perspective, if we kind of push away nutrition and everything else and we focus solely on periodization and the use of various games within that, it's for us as a staff to be able to apply load in a stepwise manner to recognize where individuals are within our needs analysis, what they need, not just based on the coach's demands of his style of play, but where that player is in relation to that and what he needs to get to, to that. It's focusing on players that might be non-selected and understanding that if you go through a congested period of time, that individual is not going to be where you need him to be, should there be an injury or if he's called upon for the game. Um, recognizing that uh, older players have different recovery compared to the younger guys as well. So within that, as a staff, it's being able to apply your conditioning model and philosophy to the players. Um, I saw you had James Malone on as well for something on cryotherapy or cold water immersion. It's even the, the periodization of recovery. It's how you apply that to your players and, and ultimately empowering them to understand that football is not just two hours on a training pitch, but you need to be a 24-hour professional. Otherwise, you're not going to maintain the heights that you need at an elite level. Awesome. So you, you also mentioned then VO2 max in there, right? So like, can you take us through what VO2 max is and its role? Because obviously, yeah, you, you've mentioned like lots of, lots of small sided games. And if that's the philosophy, then you go for the, the small sided stuff. But what's the role mm -hmm. of VO2 max within that? And how does that then relate to playing football? Okay, so yeah, good question. Um, so VO2 max is one of the three key components of aerobic endurance performance. The other two being lactate threshold and work economy. So VO2 max is our maximal ability to consume oxygen during uh, exhaustive exercise um, and how that relates to football and, and why you, we've seen this reliance on, on running is because there have been big correlations found between VO2 max and football performance when it comes to distance covered on the field, high intensity runs, recovery between high intensity bouts, the number of sprints performed, total sprint distance, and even just general involvement in decisive moments in a game. And so we've seen based on VO2 max um, and the fact that our primary mode of movement in football is running and that running programs increase VO2 max, that there's now become this, at least in the past and maybe slowly moving away from that, this reliance on generic running programs. I'm a firm believer in the use of running programs, but I think that needs to be supplementary to the use of football conditioning games in developing VO2 max. And what, what does that then look like in practice? Is there, is it like, right, okay, we're going to do, I don't know, uh, five times four minutes, four versus four. And if we think that that's not enough for that person, they're going to do some extra running on top. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% right. So we're lucky enough that we've got um, live GPS data so we can track all of that from a small-sided game perspective. We're going to be looking at smaller games because we want to elicit heart rates of 90 to 95%. So you're looking at 3v3s, 4v4s, um, repetition count of maybe 4 to 10, uh, 4 minutes in duration. Um, and your pitch size, you'll be looking at roughly 25 to 15, building all the way up to 40 by 30 meters. And there are a bunch of variables as well that we, we would include in that, such as coach encouragement, um, possession-based, and touch limitations. Um, but that's the way from a, 
a small-sided game perspective that we would um, effectively control and try and elicit those types of heart rate intensities to develop VO2 max. And obviously that's, that's quite uh, mechanically uh, taxing, right? So the, yeah. they're, they're quite high intensity actions that gets the heart rate up quite high. Um, what's the, the advantage and disadvantage of, of performing that compared to the running session that you, you mentioned as well? So obviously in one session, it's super high intensity, lots of uh, specific actions. In one session, it's lower intensity, uh, potentially fewer changes of direction, fewer accelerations, decelerations. How, how do they interact with each other? Um, so, and I suppose that one of the good ways to talk about it, like you said, is advantages and disadvantages. Um, and it's being able to recognize, say, with those 3v3, 4v4 games where there's a lot of turnover, a lot of accelerations and decelerations, where you need your overload in a potential training cycle to be complemented by an underload that stimulates a different type of metabolic pathway. Um, speaking from this, that 3v3, 4v4 perspective, you'll then have that as an overload session. And then your underload would be something like a 8v8 to an 11v11. So much bigger, larger pitch, not as many turnovers, more maximal speed development taking place on the field. From a running perspective um, and uh, a small-sided game perspective in terms of advantages and disadvantages, definitely from a running perspective, you have tighter control in terms of intensity and you don't necessarily have players flying into each other. So there's that risk of injury taking place. One thing that should be said as well is that there is a certain ceiling point within VO2max development with small-sided games where the players might not necessarily be able to get their heart rates up high enough to, to warrant, especially at elite level, to, to get that 90 to 95% um, percentage of maximum. And so you would then rely on using a running program to control for that and allow for that type of development. Absolutely excellent stuff. So you, obviously there's this VO2 max, which is um, kind of the, the aerobic side of things, if you want to simplify it, but then you've also got the, the lactate threshold stuff that you mentioned as well. So what's, what's the role of lactate threshold in football and, and how does that relate on the continuum of, of intensity with, with VO2 max? All right. So, so lactate threshold does contribute towards aerobic endurance performance. Um, and what lactate threshold is, is it's a point during exercise where your lactate builds up in your bloodstream much faster than your body can remove it. Now, it's been suggested that lactate threshold is actually a better indicator of aerobic endurance performance than VO2 max due to the role it plays in combining oxygen uptake within the muscle and heart rate values, as well as the fact that the changes in lactate threshold are often independent of VO2 max. If we want to translate that into football language, Someone with a higher VO2, sorry, a higher lactate threshold will generally be able to perform at a higher intensity for longer versus someone with a lower uh, lactate threshold. Lactate threshold is often uh, translated as a percentage or occurs as a percentage rather of someone's VO2 max. So in untrained individuals, you're looking at about 50 to 60% of that person's VO2 max where you'll hit that lactate threshold and there'll be an uptick in lactic accumulation in the bloodstream versus trained individuals, which will set at about 70 to 80% of their uh, VO2 max. So basically they could perform more high intensity work and not get that burning sensation in their legs and not yeah. have to reduce their performance potentially because yeah. of that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And with, with those things in mind, then obviously that that's not necessarily relating to the, the maximum values of something. So 
uh, let's look at speed and power, for example. If you if you do a sprint, it doesn't mean immediately that your uh, aerobic system is, is particularly taxed or that no. you've reached lactate threshold. So speed and power need to play a role in this too. What yes. what what does where does speed and power come in on that continuum and, and how do they then interact with those more physiological variables? Okay, so in terms of speed and power, we will refer to that as basically our anaerobic performance markers. Um, and that's broken down into speed and agility developments, repeated sprintability, and speed endurance. Um, so there are roughly 1,200 movement changes that take place over a 90-minute game of football. So that's a rate of every five to six seconds. And these will include accelerations, deceleration, straight line, backward, sideways. Um, so that's incredibly taxing on, on the anaerobic energy system. And like you said, it's not just a one-off sprint that results in you reaching, reaching lactate threshold, but it's the culmination of these plus minus 1,200 movements that take place. The, the biggest thing with, with these is whilst only 10 to 20% of a football match involves these high intensity activities, um, they are generally the most important. They are the most decisive into determining the outcome of a game, whether it's, it's won or lost. And so even though you've got 80 to 90% of a game being quite low, moderate intensity in terms of uh, football actions taking place and more of a, a reliance on your aerobic, those 10 to 20% become incredibly important in determining the outcome of games. And... What what does that mean then in terms of winning football matches? When you take all of these different variables together, um, how do you how do you get players to be optimal in in a range of these different variables in order to to go and win? So it, for me, it's it's again about being specific and it's it's developing a periodization model in line with those various demands. And so just to run run through that is over a, a two week our, our cycles are six weeks in length. And then we, we break that up into three two-week cycles. Um, each cycle has a different underload, overload, with the underload in, say, weeks one and two feeding into the overload of weeks three and four. So it basically allows for a bit of maintenance to take place of that energy system and then prepare that energy system for an overload to take place in the following week. We also supplement all of that different types of speed work. So repeated sprintability, speed endurance maintenance, speed endurance production, maximal speed work. And all of that is done in a way to try and allow for the holistic development of a player. So there's a specific overload, underload, and speed-related drill that takes place. Um, and each of those will be fed off the fact that, like we mentioned earlier with 3v3, 4v4, if that's the overload, we'll have something much bigger in terms of being our underload to cater for that metabolic demand taking place in the 3v3, 4v4. So there are a bunch of different ways that we look at it in terms of applying load and making sure that drills that take place complement each other and we don't have almost like that interference phenomenon taking place where there's too much happening for, with one system and there's a, a big level of uh, fatigue that takes place. Yeah, so you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to use a, a kind of a sniper rifle approach to really focus on one thing in one training session or one, one week and yep. the others, they take a little bit of a back step they yep. go like you know what we're going to focus on aerobic this week or we're going to focus on top speed or just to select the physiological variables that you think are, are most important at that time and then to to really give them a good stimulus in the hope that over the weeks that that keeps building up yep so we'll have our first day back will generally be our underload day just from the perspective that there might be still residual fatigue our older players might be still feeling it in their legs and so we'll use that as a startup day 
that'll feed into the overload day. And as you progress week by week, so the underload day, we would maybe focus on moderate uh, uh, aerobic runs, for example. And then when we feed into the second day, the overload day, that's when we would take a look at something that is more related to uh, high intensity aerobic runs and speed endurance runs, for example. So there's always something different taking place on each specific day. Um, and when we even look at the technical tactical days as well, we want to make sure that we're catering for a, a bunch of different small sided games. So if day one is, uh, uh, sorry, 5v5 to 7v7, then day two might be 8v8 to 11v11. And then on day three, uh, we might include some type of 3v3, 4v4 work, um, very small doses, but just making sure there's some type of maintenance taking place of that system, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I'm interested to hear how you then use these games and you adjust the variables as well. So you've got all of those different options as such. You've got different week structures. When we, yep. look, we kind of dive down into the, the drills themselves, how are you going to change those drills to hit the physiological variables? So you've mentioned, for example, the amount of players, but what, what kind of other things can you, you can look at to adjust and how do they then affect the physiological outcome? So uh, we've mentioned players, but pitch size as well is, is something that, that certainly will have an effect. Duration of games will have an effect. And then the rules utilized. If we're going to take a look at pitch size, for example, when the, the player number is kept constant um, in terms of altering the pitch size to bigger and smaller, we find that we're able to uh, induce different types of heart rates when we man manipulate the pitch. Um, and what that's got to do is the ratio of players in, in a playing area. So when we're increasing that playing area, um, or that reducing the, the ratio, sorry, of players in that area, um, it'll have a link up and a spike in terms of intensity. Uh, in terms of rules, generally when it comes to possession-based games, there's a higher intensity uh, of heart rate that's elicited. Um, this typically has to do with goalkeepers and them slowing down the game a lot. There's a lot more tactical um, association with, with games that involve goalkeepers. They might be a bit slow with building up from the back. They might take their time getting up after a save. And so we generally find intensity drops off when goalkeepers are involved. With possession-based games, it's a lot quicker. You'll have the coach feeding the ball in from the side. And so we can generally make sure that we drive up the intensity of those games as well. In terms of rules, um, you can also have the limitation of touches, one touch, two touch, free play. Two touch generally has the ability to drive up intensity a lot more. Uh, and free play, again, comes back to more of a tactical association where you'd involve your goalkeepers um, as well. And then uh, coach uh, encouragement is, is incredibly important as well. It's just to continue driving forward messages about pressing and eliciting some, some, some type of motivation uh, to drive up intensity from the players. And all, all of those things lead to effectively the more actions, uh, higher potentially a heart rate, higher uh, workload. Yeah. Um, and vice versa, of course, if you want to have an, an easy day, you can manipulate those variables to then reduce it back down again and say, you know what, we're gonna we're not going to push them today with coach encouragement. Um, yeah. We're going to give them a little bit of an easy uh, size of pitch and we're mm -hmm. going to make sure that there's enough players on that pitch to make sure that they're not having to run extensive distances. Yeah, that and manipulating your work to, to rest ratio as well. Are we giving them a bit more time now to rest and recover? We're not necessarily trying to drive all of those metabolic 
adaptations. We've had two really hard days. Let's allow them to just take their time with recovery and focus more on technical and tactical things. Absolutely excellent. So Joshua, massive thanks for your time and efforts today. It's been a pleasure talking. Where can people find a little bit more about you and what you're up to? I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Where where, where can people find more about you, mate? On LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Um, And I am in the process of uh, starting up an Instagram page as well. That's kind of behind the scenes taking a bit of time. But on LinkedIn, Joshua Smith, MSC, and uh, you'll be able to find me there. And then the, quite a few articles of mine that are posted on the International Soccer Science and Performance Federation's website as well. So you'll, you'll find some, some content from, from me there as well. Perfect. Absolutely excellent. So Joshua, thank massive thanks. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to speaking again soon. Yeah, thank you, mate. Have a good cheers, one. Buddy. Cheers, cheers. Bye. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Joshua for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great sports science information, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in just a few seconds' time. That link is in the show notes and you can get yourself into the Coach Academy where Joshua has also provided some great information with a mini course of his own. So hit that link in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.